Welcome to 90834. It's the weekly podcast where guests share the biggest lessons they've learned in therapy. In each episode, I'll pose two questions. What were you looking to resolve by going to therapy? And what did you really end up getting out of therapy? I'm Shannon Miller, a licensed clinical social worker in private practice who has the privilege of spending every day watching the therapeutic process lead to unexpected and beautiful places. Today, it is my pleasure to welcome Chrissy. She's a 32-year-old Chinese-American woman living in the Bay Area of San Francisco. Her therapeutic process has been off and on over the last 14 years. Chrissy went into therapy because her frequent bouts of crying made her think she was broken. But through the years, she began to learn how growing up with a narcissistic mother and a father with schizophrenia shaped that belief. And she was not, in fact, broken. What led up to you going to therapy? Why did you originally start therapy? What were you looking to get out of it? So it's a bit of a story. I was 18. No, I was 19. And I had just done my first year of college in Hawaii. And then my aunt had convinced me to move home. Like, it wasn't a great experience. After all these years, I realized that my home life was very traumatic, making it hard sometimes to leave. So when I left, I was like, well, this isn't home. It's not comfort. It's not what I know. So I moved back home, right? But it wasn't the same as when I left when I was 18. I would get in my car and I'd just start crying. And you have to understand that in my household and in my childhood, I didn't cry. So I thought I was breaking. I thought I, my family, my mom's Asian American and there were never emotions. I just thought the world was ending. So I didn't understand it. I didn't understand what this emotion was. I didn't understand what was happening in the body. Like I was just like, but I was just crying all the time. Like my body was having this physical reaction to being back in that home life, but I couldn't figure out what was going on. I was like, okay, I need help. I need support. Cause this is just unmanageable. Can I ask, you grew up in a family where emotions weren't allowed or crying wasn't allowed? Neither, neither. Um, My mom, she is Chinese-American, and she just, we didn't have emotions. I never learned it. I didn't understand what was going on, which is a lot of my part of probably like first five or six years of therapy. We're just understanding emotions and understanding what they were and understanding having you know, how to feel them. Even now I still struggle with them and I still struggle with naming them. You know how men are like very, they have a hard time with their emotions. I was I kind of had that journey where it's like, I, ne- I could never express, I can never cry. I just had to be quiet in the house and I just had to be out of sight because it was just such a traumatic environment. But I can imagine, or I can imagine actually the amount of bravery and stepping out of your comfort zone, it was to even attempt therapy and address emotions. If they were never accepted, it seems like it would be quite a stretch for you to say, I have to go to therapy. It wasn't, I, I so I didn't know what was going on, right? So you have to understand that the, the first 18 years, there, I just didn't feel, it sounds weird, but I didn't. When I was having such a physical reaction, it wasn't, oh, this is an emotion. I, I was just like, I'm, I, like, I thought I was breaking. I thought I was dying. I was like, I, I can't cry. I can't do this. There's something wrong with me. So I reached out for help because I, I thought there was something physically wrong with me. I thought like, okay, place me in a mental institution. My dad's schizophrenic. I'll lead up to that. And so I grew up seeing that. And I was like, well, maybe I'm crazy too. That's what all this crying is. So that, so that, that was like my conclusion with it. Okay. Yeah. 
So then you start therapy and sort of walk us through, I mean, 14 years of therapy, there's a lot of things to be covered there. So start walking us through what happened once you started therapy. I I broke as a human being, like uh, everything that I had known up until that point, you know, for the first 18 or 19 years, all of a sudden I'm trying to change it. Um, All of a sudden there's this different stuff. They're like, you know, you could have emotion. And I'm like, no, I can't. I just, I just have to keep going in life. I just have to keep going. And, and like I said, probably the first half of those 14 years were just learning emotions and just learning that I can have them and it's okay to have them. And even now, I don't always feel safe having emotions. And I just become very numb. And I'm just like, just keep going through life. Just don't feel. But I, I, I've learned I'm actually a very emotional person. So, that, so they tend to they fight with each other, you know, that conditioning of don't feel, don't have any emotions, basically be a human. My mom was narcissistically abusive. She's a narcissist and my dad's schizophrenic. So it was like, even now I'm still unpacking it all, but now I think I have a better tool set of coping skills and I can now separate like what was their messaging to me and then what's my messaging to me. Can I ask how did your therapists teach you to relate to your emotions, to identify them, to feel them, to relate to them? Honestly, I think it's like gave me a safe space to feel what I was feeling and to help me understand why I was feeling what I was feeling. Like if there was something at work, like I wasn't being treated right. I was like, I'm angry. I'm crying. I'm upset. And maybe I didn't even say these things, but I'd be like, F, F this person, like anger was very common in my household. So getting angry was, was, I knew that really well. I'd be like, F this, like, I would just be so angry. And they gave me the safe space to really unpack it, or they'd help me unpack it. Like, you know, do you think there's anything behind that anger? You know, for probably a year, I'd be like, no, I'm just angry. And I just go in and I'd rant, but they gave me that space to just, be that. And then if one day I broke down crying, it was like, okay, do you like, it's safe for us to understand what's really going on here. So it was through safety and time that you started to understand that anger is the secondary emotion to sadness. Exactly. There's a lot of sadness, like 19 years of just suppressed sadness. So it takes time, right. To get through it all and to really see where that anger is coming from. Okay. So you started to connect with your emotions more and mm-hmm. understand them, identify them, uh, give yourself permission to feel them. What happens next? So it's a slow journey, like I said. So the first six or seven years, I, I start doing little things that I actually want to do, right? Because in my household, I was the peacekeeper, because my dad was schizophrenic, I would take care of him. My mom was a narcissist. So I just do what she needed. So she was happy. And then I'd help manage that relationship because I'd wake up, they'd be throwing and yelling things at each other. And I'm very, I'm actually like also very sensitive. So I'd be like, Oh my God, this can't be happening. Like my parents can't be fighting. I'm going to wake up and fix it. So I'd wake up before school and like fix a relationship every day, clean up broken dishes manage money, pack lunches, like do it all. So are you an only child or do you have siblings? No, I'm the youngest of three. What roles did your siblings play in this dynamic? 
my brother, he didn't care. He, he was very selfish. Everything was about him. I think okay. because my dad was schizophrenic, he didn't have a good, strong role model. So I think for him, he was very lost. My sister, she got out of the house as much as she could. She got a lot of friends. I think for me, when I came along and just naturally who I am, I'm I'm more of a homebody. I'm more of a family person. And I'm like, wait, this is my mom and dad. Like this can't possibly be happening. I have to fix this. This is my job. This is now my role. So it sounds like even your sensitivity at that time pulled you into more of a caretaking role because that's how you could bring homeostasis back to your system was through caretaking of them. Exactly. Okay. So you were parentified very early on. Yeah, very early on. Yeah. And now I'm 32 and really within the past year is the first time I've actually ever started asking myself, what do you want? So even within the 14 years of therapy, it's taken me 12 to 13 years to kind of let go of all of that, figure out emotions, and finally get to a place of what I would like to call healthy parenting. Like Even for me, I'm still like, you know, when they say you have to reparent your inner child, I'm like, it's really hard when I, I don't know what that looks like. All I've ever known is to be mean to myself. That's all I've ever had. So I'm still also really learning what is a healthy parenting for me. Tell me more about that, learning to reparent your inner child. Yeah. Because often when we bring that up, people are like, oh, please, come on. (laughs) Well, I think it's just all about how I talk to myself. So I think it's somebody's inner motivation. And as a child, and what I grew up with, even in early adulthood, my mother was always very negative to me. And she had four sisters. And so that's mostly who I grew up around were all five of them. And they all were always, I was always bullied as the youngest one in many ways. And also my sister bullied me as well. And it would always be, you're so dumb. You're not smart enough. You're so fat. I remember one time I I bought tight jeans because tight jeans are popular. I think this must have been in the (laughs) 2000s. And my aunt would just be like, your ass is so big in it. You're so fat. You should never wear those type of clothes. Um, so I've never, I've never known what it's like for someone to say you're beautiful and be like, okay. Like I would always like, no, I'm, I, if someone would say that or like, I'm like, no, I'm horrible. I'm bad. You know? And I, so I couldn't say those things to myself. I, I literally didn't know how to. The pandemic actually made it worse. So I, so I was like, I was like on a kind of on an upward hill. I was on a good journey, and the pandemic happened, and I reverted to the worst version of myself. And I finally, within the past six months, have crawled out of it. I, I find because I finally got to a point where I'm like, okay, I don't have to necessarily say anything nice to myself, but I can accept myself for being who I am. Right? Who I, are you? Yeah, it's a great question. I don't know. But I don't have to be beautiful. I don't have to be ugly. I'm just like, I'm just, I just am. And I'm like, okay, that's progress for me, right? And so finally, to my point, I'm a point where I'm like, hey, I look really nice right now. And I'm like, yeah, I like what I'm wearing. I like how I'm feeling. I've been working out. I'm like, yeah, this feels good. And you have to understand that for a long time, that felt so ego you know, so ego-driven in the house I grew up in. It was like, you can't say anything nice to me. You can't give me compliments. Even when I'm with my sister and someone's like, oh, you know, your sister, she's really fun or I love her sense of style. She'd be like, ew, no, you're not. You can't have those things. And my mom would be like, yeah, Chrissy's just so 
extra and so much. You just And they just like, they kind of tag team with each other, even to this day. And so it's to a point where I've been like, okay, I have to remove myself from these people to heal and to, to have a life that I actually want. That's a really good point is as you're moving through this process and you're healing, it sounds like one wound at a time, your yeah. relationships outside of the therapeutic setting have to be evolving and changing. Can you speak yes. a little bit to that? Well, of course, within the past 14 years, what happened is bad relationships. When you when you have no self-worth, you tend to attract people. Majority of them have been narcissists. Everything's about them. And I think over the past couple of years, as I just hit such a low with the pandemic, I was like, I no longer have it in me to take care of anyone else. Because I was literally just, I'm so depressed and I couldn't do anything. I couldn't go outside. I couldn't do anything. It just, it really messed with me mentally. I've always had an avoidant attachment style. The pandemic changed to an anxious avoidant attachment style, which is a special version of how, because like first you're anxious and like, no, 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 please love me. And then it's like, actually, I'm going to avoid you. And it was like, it was very, that just made it horrible. Actually, it was August of 2022, I did a big breakup with, Um, a man who was also narcissistic. And then I hit a special low after that. And within the past seven months, I've had probably the best rebuild I've ever had. And within that seven months of rebuild, I've told friends, you know, hey, you can't talk to me that way. That's not okay. Hey, I need space from you because you're actually not supporting me right now. And I know that I'm going through a lot. And if that's too much, I'm okay with letting you go. I've told my family members, like, I'm not going to any more dinners. This doesn't serve me. Oh, you're so selfish. And I'm just like, okay, cool. Like, I just no longer have an emotional reaction to when people say, oh, you're selfish or you're too sensitive. Because I finally feel I'm getting a sense of how to take care of me. But all my relationships, especially within the past year, have blown up because I've changed and I've evolved. And I realize I have boundaries and I need to be treated a special way in order for me to flourish. Because naturally so much of me, it gives and it gives and it gives, but I don't get anything back. So if in the last year, your relationships have all sort of imploded, that has to come with its own emotional load on you as well. Like healing doesn't really sound like fun. It's not. It's horrible. (laughs) It's, 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 I, I wish, go, there's some ugly stages to it, but I am on a good upper bump, which makes me realize it was worth it. Like I just bought my own house, right? I'm finally in a job where they're like, hey, Chrissy, we want you to be the CMO. We want you here. We have a mentor who's like, hey, you're doing really good. Let me give you tips. I've wanted this for like the past four years. So when all these things start coming, like, hey, you're being recognized at work. They want you to step up. You have your own place to live. The money is here. It's like, oh my God, it's worth it. And that and that's the thing though, of like you told me a year ago, and I'd be like, uh-uh, it's not worth it. But now you get to the other side and you're like, oh my, I'm having the things that I've always wanted. I'm blown away. I'm just sitting here kind of grinning ear to ear. Nobody can see me, but that's <laughs> what I'm doing. That's fantastic. Yeah. So as you shed the old relationships, there's kind of a lull then before we pick up new relationships. Yeah. Friends, romantic, intimate, all that sort of stuff. How did you navigate that time? Not well. Not well. Um, I was so 
depressed. I look at that version of me and I honestly still have grief or sadness towards her. I'm like, what happened? Who did I become? Because I lost all of my grit, resilience, and ambition. Like I just let all this pain and all this sadness just come and, and just like take me. I couldn't find a job. I couldn't make any money. I, I couldn't I couldn't leave my house. I became so chronically depressed. Well, I wouldn't say chronic. And I did one thing that normally pulls me out, which is I went traveling. So Ooh, where'd you go? Went, oh, I went to I went to Europe. I was like, I love Europe. I had no money. I was like F it. I'm in such a horrible space. I don't even care about money right now because I just knew I was in such a bad lull, such a bad depression. So I went to Europe, but even being in Paris and walking the streets of Paris, it couldn't pull me out. I was like, no, I want to stay in bed. So I went to Paris for a month and I, I got very, very sick. I think my body completely shut down. So I, I was like, I'm not doing anything in Paris. I'm, this is my first week in Paris. And I was just staying in this bed all day. And I was like, okay, this isn't working. Like, I'm just going to book my travel itinerary. So I'm moving every three days. So they kind of shock the system out of it. That made it worse. I ended up getting very, very sick. I think what was COVID. And then I was had this itinerary that was like, oh, but you have to move every three days. So then I was out of money. And then I was like, I'm not getting better. I'm not healing. My body's not healing. I'm like, at this point, I just want to go home. And I was like, listen, I'm not getting in on an airplane like this. It's not fair to everybody. It's actually not fair to me. I don't think with the pressure, my ears are going to be okay, you know? And so finally, I just, I think I was, I ended up in Brussels and I just halted down at this hotel for a week and I kept going. And, and even when I went home after a month of traveling, I was still not me. Um, it takes time and it takes baby steps. And I was like, you know, I'm having trouble now financially. I'm not getting back on my feet. And I was like, okay, so what's the one thing I need to do? And I was like, I need to get a job. But when you're trying to get a job and you completely hate yourself and you've gone through a breakup and that's completely affected your worth, it's very hard to be like, oh yeah, hire me. <laughs> and so it took me, it took me another four months to finally get a job. And that kind of and, and I chose one too that wasn't remote, that was back in the office. Cause it was like, I need something to excellent. pull me out of this. Excellent, I like, excellent. I need people. And not my family. And I couldn't really tell my friends because I was so ashamed of where I was at. So I was like, I'm getting an office job. It's weird, but like that really helped heal me. That really helped pull me out of it. When you had started, you said that you did something unusual, which was the traveling. Was that part of, looking back on it now, was that part of the healing process? Or what, what purpose did that month serve for you in hindsight? Well, now here's what has changed because that travel didn't heal me. And typically I left home moved to Hawaii at 18 and then I went traveling to Spain and then I moved to Texas and I went traveling around the world for two years. So typically traveling, it's like my fleeing and that fleeing typically heals me. It helps me move forward. It helps me get space for my family. So when this time it didn't pull me out, that sense of adventure wasn't strong enough to pull me out of where I was at. I was like, something has changed because normally me just landing in a new place, it kind of it lights a fire. I'm like, oh, I'm okay. I'm doing what I know how to do. Um, I realized then that the coping skills have changed. And what I didn't need to do was travel at that point. What I needed to do was sit at home for a month and be sad and not try and shock my body anymore because it's done being shocked. It doesn't need to be shocked to be alive. It actually needs rest. And it actually needs 
care and it needs love. Were you still going to therapy all through this time? Yes, I was. Yeah. Have you had the same therapist over the 14 years? No, no. It's always evolved and it's always changed um, depending on where I'm at, depending on financial standpoint. And also there's different types of therapy and sometimes it's talking it out and sometimes it's moving the body and sometimes it's art therapy. And so at any given point in my life, I try to reevaluate after six months. I'm like, you know, is this working for me? So if I can ask, what kind of therapy are you engaging in now? Now I'm doing more um, of like a somatic therapy. So moving more emotions through the body. Because I, I overthink and I'm always here. And I'm like, it has to, I do believe trauma is stored in the body. And you've read the book. I've the body the keeps the score. Yes, I have. Okay. Okay. What's your big takeaway from your therapeutic process? Like you have an amazing story, but if you reflect back over the last 14 years of it, yeah. what's the thing that sticks with you? Like, was, was there a moment that a therapist said something to you that you were like, fuck me, like that's it right there? It's hard to say, no. Because I, I think for me, it's always been, I'm always learning a little bit and a little bit and a little bit. Um, so there's not one big takeaway. I think the biggest thing, that I have learned and it's cliche and sometimes I curse at it is that healing is a journey. And for me not to pause my life for the healing, right? Because there's so many different areas of life. There's career, there's finances, there's social, there's maybe it's adventure at one point at any one given point in time, I don't have to completely stop my life to healing, to heal. Healing kind of happens in the background. Um, and it's always happening. And in fact, going after something I'm interested in, in that moment, it helps me heal that trauma. I like that. Healing's always running in the background. I, that's what I like to think of it. Like if you're a computer, there's, it's always kind of its own motor. If, if you're aware of it and if you care about it, it will, it will happen. Yeah. I like that. And can I ask, what's your relationship now like with your mom, your dad, basically your whole family of origin as you're healing? Because you'd mentioned earlier, like, there's new boundaries in place. They're not liking them. Yeah. That's got to be really hard because, I mean, I'm sure it kicks up all the original emotions from childhood in those yeah. moments. And while you can hold the boundary, that takes a lot of work. So tell me about that relationship. Yeah. Um, so my dad, even though he's schizophrenic, because because I took care of him, I was his caretaker. He, me and him always had the strongest emotional connection because he's much more caring than my um, mom. And so, like, if you're sad, he'll be like, "Hey, are you okay?" Like, he would ask those questions. My mom would never ask those questions. So I remember when I went to go travel back in 2017, I quit my job to travel the world, and I was in therapy for probably six months. And I was like, "I can't do it. I can't leave my dad. I was still living in the Bay Area and living near him." And I was like, "I can't do it. It's it's, it's mean to him. I have to be there for him. I have to take care of him." So here I was, 25, 26, still being like, "I have to. I have to take care of him." And whenever I'd go see him, I'd buy him coffee, or he'd be like, "Oh, I peed my pants," so I'd buy him a new pair of sweats, like because my mom. She kind of neglects him because she hates him for being mentally ill, even though they still live together. So I would go in and I was still doing peacekeeper, you know, even at 25 or 26. So now I don't even know if it's unfortunate, but I really just don't go see him. And when he calls me, I check in and I'm like, hey, can I handle this right now? Like, what do I have going on? 
do I have it in, in me to talk to him and tell him what's reality and what's not? Because he'll call me and be like, hey, someone's chasing me. There's people in the house. And I'm like, hey, man, do I have that in me to, to, to like bring him back down to reality? And, and more often than not, I'm saying I just don't have it. I'm still learning how to dream. I'm still learning how to let go of things. I'm still learning so many things for myself. That relationship has a lot more space. I'll occasionally go see him, but I'm talking like once every six months now. And with your mom? With my mom. Oh, narcissists hate when you pull away. Oh, the, the trauma from that. Okay, whatever you say, you're right. And when I started saying no to her, she'd be like, well, you owe me money. You owe me money for that one time I bought you dinner. Well, you owe me money for this. Well, you owe me money for that. So now that I emotionally separated, she now uses as money as a way to bond somehow or keep ties with me. And that's, well, that's kind of hard because I'm not rich. And so I, you know, I think for me, again, it's just a lot more space. And it's like, you know what? I'm not going to call her when I have a question. Well, I never really called her about questions in life, but naturally I'm like, oh, I want to bring the people I love into my life. Like, that's just who I am, right? Like, I'm like, oh, I want to tell them about this or, oh, I want to invite them on this trip I'm going on. And now I don't. I don't call her when I'm going on a trip and I don't reach out to her. And one time when I went to Paris, she goes, you left and you went to Paris without me. And I was like, what? I just didn't respond. I was like, you don't, you don't even know what's going on with me. I'm, I'm just not going to respond to that. So I think it's, and it's really hard because when I originally started separating, there's this inner child yelling and screaming, going, no, but who's going to love me? Cause I hadn't fully figured out how to love me. She's like, Oh, I can't lose this connection. I can't lose this attachment. And I said, Hey, Chrissy, look how much suffering you have been in over the past couple of years. And that, and, and I use the men, I like to use men as the, um, they're the symptom, not the cause. I think my parents are the cause. The men are the symptom. I was like, how many months were you depressed about this man? And I was like 16 months. It took me 16 months to get over like a three month situationship, <laughs> to be honest. And so I'm like, how much suffering did you go through? And this is a cause. It's not going to help you to keep holding on you're going to just be in more suffering. And so when I began to look at it like that, I was like, oh, I don't want to suffer anymore. I don't want to be depressed over a man for 16 months. Like, that's crazy. That's a lot of life. That's my youth. You know, these are my best years. I want to enjoy them. So it's a slow, it's a slow process. It's kind of like a breakup. It's a very slow breakup. And final thoughts. Where would you like your healing to take you next? Oh, that's a good question. In my previous relationships or with myself? You tell me. You know, my biggest regret in my 20s is not believing in myself more. So as I look to my 30s and it's a new birthday, I would like to believe in myself more. And that's what I would like the healing to help with. Thank you for sharing with us. It's a beautiful story of resilience and recovery and continual healing. Like you said, healing runs in the background. And I think you did a beautiful job of explaining how your healing is always running in the background. 
Thank you, Chrissy, for taking time out of your 32nd birthday to share your story with us. I greatly appreciate it. If you, our listener, enjoy this episode and would like to listen more, you can go over to apricityexpattherapy.com and click on podcasts where you'll find all of our episodes. Next week, we're talking to Sandy, a 25-year-old woman in Minnesota who began therapy because she says things were going all wrong. In today's fast-paced and transient world, taking care of your mental health has never been more important. Apricity Expat Therapy is your gateway to healing and self-discovery from the comfort of your home. With Apricity, licensed therapists are just a click away. Experience the convenience and flexibility of online therapy sessions tailored to your unique needs as an expat. There is no cumbersome intake process or long waiting periods. We are a small private practice dedicated to helping you. Our compassionate therapists provide a confidential and supportive environment where you can explore your thoughts, emotions, and concerns, all without stepping foot outside your door. Whether you're dealing with depression, anxiety, or just need someone to talk to, Apricity has therapists for you. Visit Apricity Expat Therapy to learn more about our therapists and schedule your first online therapy session today.